In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. The grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with each and every one of you this day, my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord. It is a joy to be here with you, to be in your presence once again, and especially to serve you as vicar. In all sincerity, I have longed to be here with you again, to enjoy the incredibly rich life of this church and to grow with you in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. It was five years ago now that you welcomed my wife and I uh, here at Faith, and it was just two years ago now that we were all gathered around this very font before you as our baby boy became a redeemed child of God through holy baptism. Suffice it to say that you all hold a very dear place in our hearts, and I would have you know that I consider it nothing less than a gift from God to be here with you. And uh, for, the, for the, all, the, all the blessings that you all have poured out on us already, you have truly demonstrated to us the love of Christ, and I pray that he would only deepen and enrich our Christian fellowship over this next year. In our gospel text for today, we're confronted with a distressing scene, quite frankly. St. Luke tells us that as the Lord Jesus drew near to Jerusalem, something troubled him in a deep and profound way. So much so, in fact, that he wept when everyone else around him was celebrating his arrival. If we zoom out for a minute, we can see that our text finds its place near the crescendo of St. Luke's gospel. By this point, Christ had already been anointed by the Spirit in his baptism. He taught the multitudes of people and miraculously healed them. He had been transfigured on the mountaintop, and now, at last, he had come to Jerusalem. With all this in mind, no doubt many of the Jews welcomed Jesus to the city, hoping he'd be the one to reestablish an earthly kingdom for them. No doubt they thought he'd finally rid them of the scourge of the Romans and bring peace to the promised land. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, they shouted. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. How easy it must have been to get caught up in all the excitement. Maybe this was the time. Maybe this Jesus of Nazareth would be this worldly Messiah they anticipated. But the Lord Jesus saw things very differently, didn't he? Lamenting over Jerusalem, our Lord says, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that made for peace. You see, Jesus didn't rebuke the crowds for saying what they did, but he made it very clear to them that they didn't see things as he did. They didn't have the full picture. They couldn't see the things that make for true peace. In fact, the Lord said these things were hidden from their eyes. In the Greek text, the word that appears here is a form of the word crypto, from which we get the word encrypt. When a file is encrypted on your computer, this is done so that unauthorized users accessing the file can't discern what it is they're looking at. 
It's not that their eyes cease to function, but rather that they can't comprehend what's in front of them. In seeing, they do not truly see. So it was with the people of Jerusalem. They saw in Jesus a worldly Messiah and couldn't see the things that made for true peace, which he came to bring, namely that peace between God and men. They didn't know that this was indeed the time of their visitation. And God had visited his people in the Lord Jesus Christ. He came proclaiming good news to the poor, proclaiming liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind. Rather than establishing an earthly kingdom with earthly peace, he came first to establish a spiritual kingdom where God reigns in the hearts of men with peace only God can give. He came to set free those held captive under the tyranny of the devil, to break the chains of sin and death. But by and large, the very people he would have liberated ended up rejecting the freedom he came to give. They simply would not turn from their sins and believe in him. Their rejection of the Messiah who came to seek and save the lost would only mean continued hostility towards God. And so, as our text tells us, the Lord wept as he drew near to Jerusalem. The Son of God shed tears of great sorrow, for he knew that in less than a week's time, his own blood would be shed by the very people he came to save. Jesus foresaw that those around him saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, would soon shout, crucify, we have no king but Caesar. What pain our Lord must have felt as he looked out on the city at the people he loved so deeply. I can only imagine it was like a spear piercing his heart. Since his people would not turn from their sins and be reconciled with God, the Lord Jesus knew he would give over nothing less than his own body and blood as the things which make for peace. The Jews' rejection of Jesus would come at a steep cost to them too, however. Hence, the Lord gave this prophecy in our text. The visitation that was intended to bring salvation became the basis for divine judgment in the future. And if you read an account, a historical account of the destruction of Jerusalem that occurred in 70 AD, like that of the historian Josephus, you too will come to see the complete destruction of which our Lord would have spared them. Jerusalem was encircled by the Romans. Its inhabitants were starved, and those who attempted to flee were cut down, and much of the city was destroyed by fire. And all of this is but a microcosm of the destruction coming at the end of the age for those who reject our Lord Jesus. It'll be a day of great sorrow for them, when he comes in the fullness of his divine glory, and they will not escape. But that day has not yet come. Now is the time when our Lord Jesus visits us full of grace and rich in mercy. 
In fact, he has drawn near to you this day in his holy word and in his sacraments. Would that you, even you, knew the love our Lord Jesus has for you, that he would give his very body and blood as the things which make for peace. In this way, Dr. Luther explains he redeemed us, lost and condemned people, purchased and won us from all sins, from death, and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death, that we may be his own and live under him in his kingdom. So great is the satisfaction Christ made to the Father on our behalf. So great is that peace with God which we receive as a gift and not of works. Indeed, in this, uh, this is that peace which no mere mortal can produce. This is that divine peace which shall not pass away for anyone who lives and moves and has their being in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thus have good reason for retaining what's known as the Pax Domini in our liturgy. Pax Domini means peace of the Lord in Latin. And you'll recall that this part of the service takes place right before Holy Communion. Pastor lifts up the body and blood of our Lord and says, the peace of the Lord be with you always. Now, these are not simply pious thoughts or warm wishes from Pastor Rodi. These are not just vague religious sentiments either. No, in this part of the service, the Lord himself sets before you the very things in and through which we have peace with him. And when you come forward and see Pastor Rodi or myself or an elder reach out to give you Christ's body and blood, you should not just see our hands before you with these things. Instead, you should look and see first and foremost the hands of our Lord Jesus giving you himself for the forgiveness of your sins. Who in their right mind would turn away from such things? Who could be so spiritually cold that they would not be warmed by the burning fire of our Lord's love. In truth, it's only those who would willingly go to their own destruction. That's who. But Christ comes to you this day in humility, in bread and wine, that you may receive him from a willing heart, with joy and thanksgiving. He comes to give you divine peace, even peace with his Father, Receive this peace then, and go make peace with your brother, with whom you're at odds, and let that peace which we receive from Christ spill over into our relationships with others. You see, in Christ Jesus, we're called to show others a deeper kind of love than that which the world knows. The world knows only a diseased, self-serving kind of love, doesn't it? Love those who love you and hate those who hate you, so the thinking goes. But not so with Jesus. Our Lord Jesus wept over those who hated him. He prayed for them. He didn't grovel or cower before them, but look at what he did do. 
He endured their hatred with great fortitude. He was patient and gentle with them even as they mocked him. He stood firm in the face of their hostility with a quiet resolve. And though he lamented their scorn, he would not be moved from going to the cross for them or for you. His zeal for our eternal salvation was too strong for that. His love is mighty and unshakable like a mountain. So go then and be Christ to your neighbor, even those who hate you. Make peace with them, even if it's difficult, even if it's uncomfortable, and even if it means having conversations with those of the opposite political party. For Christ didn't think it beneath him to give his own life for those who hate him, nor should we think it beneath us to reach out to others with, with, with that peace which we have in him. And what a joy it would be to bring such people here, if possible, to this place, to witness them taste and see that the Lord is good, that he's given them nothing less than his own body and blood as the things which make for peace. For as St. Paul tells us, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of our Lord Jesus, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. To Christ be all the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.